You ready for this? Yeah. If is the most original and heartfelt movie in years. Magic like this comes around once in a lifetime. This Friday, experience it with your whole family. Can we do it again? If ready PG. Kick is live. It is Sunday night, November 20th, year of our Lord, 2022. You should have known. You should have known the moment those casuals told you this would be a boring weekend, you should have known exactly what was coming. You didn't know where it was coming, but you knew it was coming. Why? Because we don't suffer from the same amnesia the rest of the college football public apparently suffers from, and we know how this thing works. We are jam-packed. We are high atop a victorious downtown Nashville, Tennessee. Why? Because one of the hottest teams in college football resides like four or five blocks down the road. It's Dorvember. Check those calendars, friends. It is and has been for two weeks now, Dorvember. Will enough teams limp into this four-team playoff? That's one of the things I'm going to talk to you about tonight. As everyone else out there argues with me, we got to go to 8 or 12 or 16. Hey, I'm just looking around on a Saturday in mid-November saying, you going to find four of them? Before you get to 8 or 12, you going to find four of them? A lot of upsets, a lot more Close to the wire, near upsets. Just not a shocking result yesterday, but a phenomenal ending to a football game in Waco, Texas. We will talk about all of it. We got full week 12 reaction. I have got takeaways from coast to coast. I mean, we were in Los Angeles last night, Pasadena to be exact, for a classic, an instant classic between USC and UCLA. And sure enough, we were back in Nashville by 8 o'clock this morning. Thus the magic, kids of the red-eye flight. However, they call it a red-eye for a reason, because no one around here has slept. So we have got our trusty chalice of supremacy with the questionable orange liquid, and it, and it alone will power us through the rest of this show. They're watching us in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, Chula Vista, California, Rochester, Minnesota, Tallahassee, Florida. Notice something different about the channel here on YouTube? Yes, shortly after the show Thursday night, we hit 150,000 subs. So I don't, I don't have the, that cover three Chip Patterson confetti to rain down all over us, but just imagine confetti raining down. Maybe you're in your bedroom, and I don't know what the confetti was doing there to begin with. That's your business, not mine, but we're multi-purposing your bedroom confetti because we got 150K subs. If you're driving around listening to the podcast tomorrow, a little less conspicuous, confetti in the truck. Appreciate you guys because we probably, no one actually here ever planned on getting to that point this soon. So now you know what my end of the bargain is. I've got to fulfill on whatever you come up with as your own prize. So I'm going to listen to you for a few days. Figure out amongst yourselves over in the corner, figure out what you want. I told you my idea would be for you to come up with some collaborative effort that we could do over December, but that's my idea. You choose whatever you want. And then if we find some consensus amongst the mob, then we'll roll with that as long as it's within reason. Like, you know, if you want me to give away the company's money, okay, it's their money, not my money. But let's figure it out. I'm going to give you a little while, no rush. But thank you so much for that. Now, I guess the drive to 200K has begun. We'll just up the value of the prize every time. <sighs> this is going to be a tough opening to the show for some of us, especially around here. But we got to do it, okay? So, Colin, earmuff yourself as you punch the show in there. South Carolina. You just splattered Tennessee yet last night. 63-38 to 38 was the final score here. So let's hit the rewind button, as we often do on this program, and let's go back to 
what do you want to say, Thursday, Friday, whatever. Let's go back to Friday morning. You and I go out, favorite coffee shop on the corner, Main Street, and we, we get ourselves a nice cup of coffee. Maybe you get a bagel. Maybe you get some cinnamon toast. And I tell you, hey, I got something. I got something you need to know. Lean in. <clears throat> I've already seen how this game plays out. I've got the final score. Do you want the final score? You say, yeah, I want the final score. Well, the final score is 63 to 38. And you say, that sounds about right. That's, you know, these two teams, Tennessee's really explosive. And if they're scoring that much, they don't really care how much South Carolina. And then, I just put my index finger over your lips and I say, finish your muffin. I told you it's 63 to 38. I didn't tell you who was hanging 63, though. And then you look at me and you go, no, surely, surely not the team that failed to score an offensive point a week ago against Florida. Surely that's not the team that's getting over halfway to 100. Well, yes, it is. Yes, it is. There are some very, very violent numbers being shown currently on the screen there. Uh, this was a landmark win. You know the rule around here. We talk about the winners first. And the winner, definitively in this matchup, South Carolina. I'm going to acknowledge that this was a really, really big win for Shane Beamer and company. It was. But I need you to meet me halfway. Okay, we got to barter here a little bit. I need you to acknowledge, as I talk about how big this win was for you guys, that none of you expected it. I have the DMs to prove it. Some of your very, very high-profile public figures up there were kind of sort of on record going into game week about talking about how bad the score was going to be. And look, Tennessee did put up a big number. It didn't matter because there was no shot they were keeping up with you. Spencer Rattler essentially played the brand of football that got everyone excited when he was coming out of high school and then got everyone re-excited when he was transferring from Oklahoma to South Carolina. But a lot of you thought they'd get smashed. I'm right there with you to the point where when we were formatting the Thursday night show, Colin, you remember this? You and I looked at this Tennessee-South Carolina game and said, do we put it in the upset alert segment? And I voted no. I voted no. Why? I didn't think there was a shot. I just didn't. This is the most bizarre, mind-jarring outcome that I've seen in a long time. Understand what we witnessed. We witnessed a multi-touchdown, like a three-touchdown favorite, lose by 25, just out of nowhere. Tennessee lost to Georgia and had gotten themselves right back up off the deck. South Carolina played horrifically a week before, which goes to show you what Mima said once upon a time still carries every bit as much weight today as it did when she first said it. And that is nothing about November has to make sense. Nothing in college football in November has to make sense. It just is. It wasn't even just this game yesterday. There was a lot of stuff all around the country that didn't make sense unless you understand that it doesn't have to make sense. 35 first downs for South Carolina. These are the game drives versus Tennessee. Leave this up for a second because it's going to take me a second to read it, Colin. This is going to jolt you if you're driving around listening on podcast. These were the drives for the Gamecocks. Touchdown, 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 touchdown. Then they ran out of time. They had to go to the locker room for a little while. Then they came out cold and they had to punt. Then they get back on track. Touchdown, 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 touchdown. End of game. There is no turnover on downs. There's no interception. There is one three and out conspicuously placed in there. And then the rest of their possessions go for seven. Wild, wild stuff. November's the deep end. 
talked about it coming into last week. November's the deep end. The thing about Tennessee is I just thought they could swim. I think all of us did, especially after you had seen them reestablish or reassert themselves after the Georgia game. So South Carolina's sitting up there, and they're in the most wounded of wounded animal modes. I just didn't think it would matter. Like, I didn't think that they could be... I did not think there was enough motivation. I didn't think there was a level of being fired up enough that would matter because I didn't think they could execute like that offensively. We haven't seen it all year. Comes out of nowhere. Spencer Rattler is out of his mind. He is Steven Garcia against Alabama in 2010, out of his mind. But November ends up drowning Tennessee and what really put just a big damper on the ending is not only are they out of the college football playoff conversation, they lose Hendon Hooker for the season with an ACL tear. So that's not any news that anyone wanted to see today. Yeah, he's been one of the most fun players to watch in college football this year. He's been part of a reclamation project there. And I think he's established himself, if he never plays another down there, obviously, he's established himself. But it was one of the this is going to sound hyperbolic. I just don't think it is. It's one of the worst losses in the recent memory for this program because of the magnitude of it. They've had a lot of bad losses, but those teams weren't good. This team was headed to the playoff. This team had odds-on favorite juice to make the college football playoff. And you're talking about seeding, and you're talking about getting your starters some work, and you're talking about avoiding injury. And all of a sudden, just out of nowhere, baseball bat to the face in Columbia. The sport does not guarantee everyone a window. Okay, so this is part two of the depression today for a Tennessee fan. I know what, after the anger subsides, you will be tempted to do. And I would think the same way if I were you. I would think to myself, okay, oh well, we didn't get the job done this year, but this is just the beginning. You know, so anything that we achieve this year, that was just going to be a cherry on top of what is to come down the road. Now, I've got confidence in the direction of that program. Don't misunderstand me. But I know this sport does not guarantee anyone a window. You're not guaranteed that things will just automatically improve 5%, 7%, 10%. Do we think they will? Yeah, I think that there are more talented versions of Tennessee down the road. I think Josh Heupel will have a better collection of raw talent, but I can't guarantee you he'll have a better team because teams are made up of far more than just talent. One of the most impressive things Lincoln Riley has done is prove just that. He's got a lot of talent, and it is gelled into a really, really good team. And Josh Heupel took these pieces and gelled them into a really, really good team. He'll have more talent down the road, but I don't just assume they'll be right back in the thick of it every year. That's why this stuff is so crushing. Because when you're there, you got to take advantage of it. Hopefully, you will have a five- or seven-year, ten-year window. But that's not always the way it happens, and history has taught us that. It, it really irritates me we did not feature this on Upset Alert. Okay, so Shane Beamer. Really interesting conversation around South Carolina right now. Uh, the fan base has been so conflicted because the offense has been terrible, non-functional at times. And then they go last night and they do something radically different than anyone has seen them do all year. And so if you just look at the numbers, you may think to yourself, hmm, well, I was calling for overturn in the offensive coaching staff, but now I look at these numbers, maybe they got it figured out. And then you get a little 
deeper into the weeds and you realize eh, maybe it was just more collaborative effort. There were a couple of programs last night, by the way, in, in big statement wins that may have shifted around some play calling, shifted around some offensive functionality, whatever you got to do to win, do it. But that's this year. How does it bleed into December? You know, are there any decisions that were going to be made that are still going to be made despite this result? You get where I'm going there. How about this week? Tennessee, without Hendon Hooker, remember that, is on the road. Who do they play at the worst possible time? Vanderbilt in Nashville. What do you think the number is? Even with the Hooker news, what do you think the number is? The number is Tennessee minus about 16 or 17 right now, depending on where you look. Meanwhile, South Carolina goes to Clemson, and Clemson's favored by two touchdowns. Careful, careful. You don't have to bet that right now. It's okay. You can think about it a little while because the chum is in the water. Let someone else, let someone else come swimming up first. Just bide your time a little bit. Let's see how the market plays out this week. I'm not moving on the, either one of those games. I know where the temptation will be. I'm not moving on either one of them. Speaking of movement, man, a lot of you moved yesterday in West Virginia and down in Tampa, down in the Florida area. We opened two new Academy Sports and Outdoors locations yesterday, and I have got a mountain of submissions to sift through. I've already awarded a few Chalai of Supremacy. I've given out about four or five, and I got at least five more to give out. The rule around here is if you prove that you go to one of the new grand openings and you submit proof to us, you are in the running for one of those bad boys, a chalice of supremacy. And uh, man, you guys flooded them yesterday. I don't know who got more foot traffic, and we'll wait to get the numbers. I'm going to go meet with them tomorrow, actually. i got to fly down to Houston in the morning. Get to, excuse me, get to fly down to Houston, and we'll be in College Station the next two days. But um, yeah, they were impressed, and I was impressed. So Academy Sports and Outdoors, your one-stop shop for all, all of your life's needs. I had one of you hit me up from Ohio today, and you said, I love the inclusion of Academy. I love that they make the show free for me, but I don't have an Academy here. While that's true, you do have one of those, and I am tapping on my laptop. Or you got one of these. Maybe not an iJosh, but you've got an iPhone or a cellular device with internet access at the very least, academy.com. That's it, and that's all. Boom. Your one-stop shop. And you would just be fascinated at what you can find on there that you never were raised to believe you could find at a mere sporting goods store. Well, it's more than just a sporting goods store. And those of us who frequent the place know that. I want you to know it too. And I want you to know it not only because of that, but because they make everything you see here possible. Uh, we are lifelong partners, I hope, at this point with Academy Sports and Outdoors. All right, let's continue to roll. I got to tell you, man, this next game, uh, the, the chill bump, on the spine, you know, the, the hair on the back of your neck standing up, it accomplished all of it. TCU 29, Baylor 28. How in the world did Sonny Dyke's team figure out a way to win this? Uh, but that's not the question a lot of you were asking heading into Saturday, was it? No, the familiar refrain later in the week last week, as this number ticked down from three, it was two and a half. How? How, how, how can TCU only be a two and a half point favorite? What had we just seen? We saw him go on the road and handle Texas in Austin. And we saw Baylor get smashed at home by Kansas State. And what did we learn? What did Meemaw tell you? Nothing about November has to make sense. And nothing about last week matters. This was 
the million and first example. It's happened a million times. This was just a million and one of odds makers understanding what far too often the more casual general public in college football does not understand. Last week just doesn't matter. People get so caught up in the more merit-based thinking, the more merit-based concept, which is fine, that's what rankings are, of we got to go by what we just most recently saw. Meanwhile, odds makers, they've got a set of numbers that constitute a team, and then you just got one little result last week. That's not enough to move them off their opinion of a team. So Baylor, I mean, they've got Baylor a few points below TCU, power ratings-wise. TCU looks great. Baylor gets drug unmercifully. Odds makers aren't moving off that. More than maybe a point, point and a half, maybe two points. And so they threw the number out there. Because they know how this stuff works. They don't have to guess their way through this. And what's funny is the amnesia that sets in. It's permanent. It happens every time. Because there were a ton of folks on TCU yesterday, and you thought they were going down there, and they were just going to roll Baylor, and that was not the case. But you know what they did do? They found a way to win. And if you watched this game, you saw them down eight, I think they were. And so they get it to within two, and they go for the two-point conversion, and it's late in the game, and they don't get it. And this, they get the ball back, they get in field goal range, and this sequence here, with no timeouts, can't spike it because it's fourth down. They're like six, five, four, three, two seconds left, and they go true walk-off field goal. Now, this was the talk of college football yesterday. The, the final sequence of this game, you're watching it. If you're watching on YouTube, this is how it actually played out. And it looks like chaos, but very controlled chaos. Now, I think there may be a little bit of criticism to be given out. And the criticism is, I don't think that's how they drew it up. And I'll tell you why, Colin, if you could roll that again, I don't know how many times we're going to loop it. So the one thing that you do notice is most of the time, when you're going to send a guy out to kick a field goal, game winning, or maybe in the second quarter, he's taking his usual three steps back, two steps over to the left to line himself up. And their kicker did not have the opportunity to do that. And so when you look at how rushed it was, yeah, like I'm thinking to myself, no, although they executed it, I'm guessing that they don't want their kicker with their season on the line running out there without so much as the ability to do more than set himself. He didn't get a chance to properly set himself. He literally had a chance to stand still for a second so they could snap the ball. But they got it done. And it was very obvious they had worked on it before. Special teams work in practice is not something that a lot of your local beat writes about, even if they get to witness it. But boy, did it matter there. That was pretty heart-stopping. Look at that TCU contingent back there in the end zone. Uh, that is at McLean Stadium. That's in Baylor. But they traveled down from Fort Worth. I've made that drive myself. Construction, construction, construction. But they're working on something pretty special in their own right. And there you go. By bubblegum, paperclip, hook or crook, they keep getting the job done. And I came into yesterday morning and I tweeted out a clip that we had done on the show 48 hours earlier about how ridiculous I thought it was, and still do, that the whole talking point, the whole narrative, which is a word I hate, around this team is as long as they go undefeated, then blah, 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 because I know that wouldn't be the case if it were Oklahoma or Texas. So branding clearly matters here. And yet, we all know one thing. Regardless of how ridiculous that talk is, it is irrelevant as long as they do keep winning. And they kept winning yesterday. So now, what do we look at? You got a season finale against Iowa State. 
And then you got the Big 12 championship game. Looks like it's going to be Kansas State. I think that's the way that's working out. But TCU has afforded themselves the opportunity to actually traffic in one of the big lies. One of the big lies in college football is a win is a win. Because a win is not always a win. If you beat a team you're favored by 49 against by a field goal versus beating them by 49, those wins are not equal. They are in the NFL. They're not equal in college football because you get rated, you get ranked, you get judged in this sport by a committee. But TCU's at the point where it does not matter if they win by one point or a million because they have afforded themselves the luxury of having a win matter as long as it's a win. So they do get to temporarily tell one of the big three lies about their season because they have afforded themselves the opportunity to do that. TCU did need that now, obviously. Moving forward, though, with all the other moving chairs on the deck, what could happen? Because, you know, Tennessee is now a two-loss team, so you've got separation. You have got USC, which is obviously going to vault up there, I would imagine, into the five spot, I think. Uh, don't quote me on playoff projections, but you got Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan are about to play Saturday, and then there's TCU. I do not know, is what I'm saying, how the committee would compare a one-loss TCU. See, here's the thing. The one-loss TCU has could very well be in the conference championship game. But here's the other fun part. USC, like everyone is looking, now that they beat UCLA, they're looking towards the Pac-12 championship game because they locked up a spot in it. They got to play Notre Dame this week. The line on the game is like five. Notre Dame's playing their best ball of the season, for what that's worth. What if USC loses another game? Then they go and win the Pac-12. So there are a lot of twists and turns still along the way. But TCU, man, congratulations. I was, I was at a lobby bar in a Marriott in Los Angeles, and it struck me that the entire crowd there was glued to a TCU Baylor game on an afternoon where the casuals told you, oh, it's going to be a yawn, it's going to be a snoozer of a day. Nah, that lobby went crazy. Neutral fans, I mean, just fans that either don't know how to spell college football, they care about it so little, or maybe they're a USC or UCLA. It was just a great finish, just a very, very climactic finish. So congratulations to Sonny Dykes and company. Floresville, Texas is tuned in. Dothan, Alabama, Endover, Maryland also tuned in. Appreciate you guys. And if you are watching live or if you're listening to the replay, just make sure you click the thumbs up button and help us on our road to 200,000 subs. Imagine what will happen at 200K. I don't know because I don't even know what you're going to have happen at 150K. It is yet to be determined. USC won a classic last night, 48-45. to I was on the sideline for this one at the Rose Bowl. It was not lost on me, a kid from West Central Georgia, what it means to stand on the field of the Rose Bowl. I'll talk about that more in a second. But I have, I've never been able to watch Caleb Williams from field level. And now I have. And I get what the big deal is. It wasn't shocking. I've seen him on TV many, many times. But they are right. I've heard a few scouting types say, boy, the ball comes out of his hand different when you're standing on the field. And boy, you can so tell how much his, his subtle movement, sometimes in the pocket, buys just that little extra bit of time. And then when you combine it with the fact that he has a rocket attached to his body in the form of an arm, and he can thread needles and tight windows that most guys wouldn't even attempt to thread, he's an NFL quarterback. He just happens to be playing college football right now. Man, he's really good. He's, he won this game last night for USC. No two ways about it. And remember, they come into this game without Travis Dye. And 
look, Austin Jones, running back, steps up. I mean, I'll talk about him in a second too, but Caleb Williams, I want you to think about how this game started. UCLA gets a two-score lead. USC's been down in the red zone twice. They come away with zero points. So that's the starting point. Like That's when he really started to go to work, and after that, he went off. And at a certain point, I think it was Joel Klatt. I heard some of the broadcasts. I was going back and forth from the field to the media suite because there's free food in there. That's why. And I heard him say, hey, this is turning into a, those, one of those kinds of games where if you punt, you lose. And that ended up pretty much being the case. And Caleb Williams was up to the challenge. Look at these numbers. Career high there in total yards. 503 total yards accounted for. He had 470 through the air, 32 of 43. UCLA just couldn't do enough. And it's again, it's a situation where Dorian Thompson-Robinson had good enough numbers except one column, and that's the turnover column. But I don't think what some people realize is USC, like they've got this ridiculous turnover margin this year, and you may think to yourself, they must be doing something right defensively. And you can credit the defense, but I credit Caleb Williams. I credit Lincoln Riley. I credit the offense. Because what happened again last night is you got a team in UCLA into a situation where they knew they had to keep matching points. And even if you're conditioned to that, even if that is the kind of offense that you're comfortable running anyway, it gets uncomfortable when you know you've got to do just a little bit more. And over the span of four quarters and multiple possessions, if you can make someone press just a fraction more than they otherwise would be able to, if you make them operate on your terms instead of their terms, eventually what's going to happen is that guy will try and reach for a first down he otherwise wouldn't try and reach for. He'll try and throw a ball that he'd otherwise either tuck and run or throw it away and live to play another down. Why? Because there's pressure being put on him to match you. That's Caleb Williams. He's not on the field. He's not playing safety or corner or anything like that. But make no mistake, you see those turnovers. Caleb Williams and that offense are the primary culprits behind some of the opposition's turnovers. Now, here's the other thing that I want to talk about. We're way, way deep into this season now, and USC is going to play for a Pac-12 championship in year one under Lincoln Riley. All I can say about him is you may not like Lincoln Riley. You may not want to give Lincoln Riley credit. There are certainly different camps, and he's pretty polarizing. No one's indifferent on Lincoln Riley, but you've got to give him credit. You may not want to give Lincoln Riley credit, but you've got to give him credit. This dude's essentially become college football's Ferdinand Magellan. You know, there were a lot of things that were often thought about this sport, kind of like before anyone circumnavigated the globe. There was a thought about what would happen if you fell off the end of the earth. Well, eventually, somebody had to test it out. And what do you know? I didn't get eaten by fire-breathing dragons once I fell off the end of this thing. I just went all the way around it. Voila! Put the globes in the classrooms. Well, Lincoln Riley and all of us for a long time heard that there's really only one way to put together a roster. And you got to recruit and you got to build those relationships in ninth grade, 10th grade. Then you got to foster them. Then you got to bring them in. Then you got to develop them. And that is tried and true and it works. But as it turns out, some of the things that were largely accepted as fact out there were not fact when it comes to another way to put together a roster. They were merely theory. Consensus is only a theory until someone tested. Lincoln Riley tested it. Lincoln Riley tested the notion that you can't just go into the transfer portal and put together a team. That's not the way team building and roster construction works. It's not the way it has worked, friend. 
but it's absolutely working for him. Now, what I'm not suggesting, nor do I think he would suggest, is this is the way we're going to do it until the end of time. But what I am suggesting is he found a way in year one to not look at his administration and his fans and say, give me time. We're going to suck this year. Give me time. He didn't do that. He said, if it's okay with everyone, I'm, can, can we try and win now? Can we win this year? Yeah, let's try and win this year. And they're winning this year. Anything they achieve from this point forward is overachievement in my mind. They don't think that way. I think that way about him. Here's what else is happening. Once Magellan did his thing, he wasn't the last. Once Roger Bannister ran that sub four-minute mile, he wasn't the last. They were the first. Once Lincoln Riley portaled his way to a conference championship game in year one, he won't be the last. He'll be the first. What are we about to enter? We are entering what could be a pretty crazy hiring cycle. This cycle and cycles to come, you have the usual stuff to keep in mind. Who are we going to go get? Uh, who are the OC and DC going to be? Recruiting coordinator? Who are we going to get in here? Strength and conditioning. But you also have that other elephant in the room, and that is how much of our new head coach's roster could be convinced to follow him here? How many of them don't need to be convinced? They'll voluntarily do it. How many kids on other rosters are going to see him come here and all of a sudden put two and two together and say, the confluence of that guy and that program is attractive enough for me. I'm on my way. Someone else is going to do it. Lincoln Riley is just the blueprint. He's just our Magellan. You don't have to like it. I don't know how liked or hated Magellan was, but I think that you will see begrudgingly a lot of people lean into this way of doing things. You'd be stupid not to. If you're making a change anyway, you'd be dumb not to. Mel Tucker did it last year. So now we have an argument. Now I'm going to have to put up the Twitter poll. Our, uh, college football Magellan. Are we looking at Mel Tucker? Or are we looking at Lincoln Riley? Um, UCLA is a good team, man. Like, they played Arizona last week. I talked to a couple of their staffers on the field before the game, and I said, do you guys feel like Arizona played you as good as I do? And they said, yeah. Like, we thought we did enough to win. We thought we had them multiple times. And Jaden Delora just said, no, you don't have us. That's the Arizona quarterback. And they just won. I didn't think less of UCLA after that. I don't think less of them after this game. They have three losses now. One of them was last night to a team that could go on to win the Pac-12 championship and go to the playoff. Another one is to Oregon, who could be the team that prevents USC, for all we know, from winning the Pac-12 and going to the playoff. And then the third one was against Arizona that just pulled a South Carolina, basically played out of their mind for one night. It's a good team. Eight and three right now. They go to Cal this week. I think UCLA will win that game. Model loves them this week. I think you're going to see a nine-win team this year, regular season. I think you're going to see a nine-win team, and that's a good year. As for the Rose Bowl, as I told you to start that segment, man, that's a special place. And I was fortunate that I got to see it at pretty full capacity last night. So it wasn't the Rose Bowl game, per se. It's a night game as opposed to a 2 p.m. local time kick, which the Rose Bowl is. But really special place. And if you know me or you listen to the show or have for any length of time, you know that the travel schedule we choose is not something that we ever just settle into. It doesn't become mundane. It doesn't become a box we just check. Like this stuff, we want to do it. We ask to do it. And we want to go on the road 15 or 16 weeks in a row. Some of them are more special than others only because if you're from where I'm from in the rural South, the Rose Bowl, you know where it is and you could point to it on a map, but it's just 
it's, it's another galaxy. It exists in another world. And especially if you're from a smaller town, the world can feel that way when you grow up. So I remember being a kid, and when I would see the Rose Bowl on TV, or when I would just see teams playing out west, it just felt so far away. And now that we've elevated the show to the point where we get to go to those places, yeah, it's wonderful. And maybe some people do take that stuff for granted. I don't take it for granted. It was a big deal. I got there early yesterday, number one, because of traffic. Number two, just to soak that in for a few extra minutes. That's not lost on me. So I wanted to tell you guys that because I talked to a number of you there yesterday and echoed that sentiment. So I kind of wanted to say that on the more broad scale here, which begs the question, with the Every Given Saturday tour having completed a second West Coast trip, where are we going this week? I would try and drum up some mystery and intrigue and excitement here, but I can't. I'm going to show you we've got the Civil War. They don't call it that anymore for completely and utterly ridiculous reasons, but I am still going to call Oregon at Oregon State the Civil War. We've got Michigan, Ohio State. We've got the Iron Bowl, and we've got Notre Dame at USC. Now, that Notre Dame-USC game is very enticing. But we just came from Los Angeles, just saw USC yesterday. We have not seen Michigan this year. We have not seen Ohio State this year. And that is about to come to an end because we are headed to Columbus, Ohio. Michigan versus Ohio State, the game. 11-0 versus 11-0 for the first time, I believe, since 06. And, you know, this deserves, this deserves an announcement, Bell. Check the forecast today. Could we approach 50 degrees? Well, it did not look that way for the past 48 hours or so. Could we hit the upper 40s or even 50? And grading on the Ohio November curve, that is like the Caribbean in the middle of summer. Fingers crossed. I want nothing to do with the weather I had to endure in Ann Arbor, Michigan last year. I know you guys celebrate that like it's the end of the world. I loathe it like it's the end of the world. Big Ten football, I love. Big Ten weather, not so much. So we will be, regardless of what the forecast has in store, in Columbus, Ohio. I have not been up there since last year when they splattered Michigan State. So I have yet to see a good game or even a semblance of a good game in Ohio Stadium. I have a sneaking suspicion that we will break that dry spell. We will break that streak this week. This is going to be a good one. One game season. Total Super Bowl mode, one game season. I'm going to talk about that game a little bit more later. And obviously, we'll break it down Tuesday. Got some more games that I want to hit here. Uh, appreciate you guys being tuned in. Make sure you like. Make <laughs> Someone suggested I go to Vandy. Don't think I didn't consider it. That's all I'll say. Don't think I didn't consider it. Georgia 16, Kentucky 6. I was watching this game out at the Rose Bowl, and I just... I was trying to get myself excited about the potential that Kentucky could pull the upset, but I never thought they were going to. And then I was trying to convince myself I should be stunned that this game was close, but I couldn't do that either. I think a lot of the game just makes perfect sense. I think that Kentucky hanging around is not a surprise. I don't think Georgia was surprised by that. What have we learned about November? The very fact that Kentucky lost to Vandy last week should have told you don't expect them to be down against Georgia. Expect their best against Georgia. You got their best. Now, here's another thing we knew, and Kirby Smart knew. Their best, Kentucky's best, was never going to be good enough offensively. So it also doesn't shock me that a quote-unquote close game included them not hitting double digits. Georgia's given up 
11 and some odd points per game, leading the country right now. And so if everyone wants to complain about how Georgia manages things offensively, they're trying to win a game. And while they may not manage their offense in such a way where they're going to hang half a hundred every week, there is virtually no chance they're going to get beat by employing that strategy. Uh, Michigan has done that a lot of this year. Almost bit them yesterday, but Michigan's done that too. I mean, top scoring defenses in the game right now. What do you know? Georgia-Michigan. I did not know that, actually. They are 1-2, and Michigan played number three in Illinois yesterday. So Georgia, I think another thing to consider is they clinched. They clinched the SEC East last week. It was like four degrees yesterday. It was just a survive and advance kind of game. Georgia's another one of them that can honestly say a win is a win. They don't need style points. They don't need any of that. They just need to win and get out of there. Uh, but as is usually the case, when a team does not look like they're in full-on Xbox mode, if I pull the eye, Josh, out of my back pocket and I look, I'm going to have some version of the following quote. Well, this team's not going to beat Ohio State. That team's not going to play Ohio State. Nothing about the Georgia effort you see against the University of Kentucky has any relevance to potentially what they'd look like if they were on the field with Ohio State. Oh, and by the way, as you're typing that to me, and you know who you are, did you check the Ohio State-Maryland score at any point yesterday? Did you check out how that was a field goal game in the fourth quarter? Like, So what Ohio State are we talking about? And for that matter, you want to throw TCU at me? Do you want to throw Michigan at me? Tennessee you can't throw at me? I don't know if you guys have looked around. There is no truly elite team out there right now. Which team do you hold as the unquestioned standard of greatness in college football this year by which every one of your performances should be compared. And if we play like this against them, we're going down. It's like the remember the Titans mode. I mean, if we play like this against Groveton, we're going down. There is no Groveton in the sport this year. There is no 2019 LSU. There is no 2020 Bama. You got some pretty good teams there at the top, and then you got some pretty good teams below them. As it turns out, there is not a massive gap. It looked that way early in the year. That's not the way the season has played out. The odds to win the championship right now, Georgia is favored. Ohio State's behind them. Michigan's three. And then you got a little bit of a gap in the odds. And then you got TCU and USC. But I just, I always wonder how people think the way that they think when they say, I'm watching a team that's clearly disinterested in their opponent. I'm going to go ahead and pretend that if they were playing for a title, or if they were playing in a semifinal game against TCU or Michigan, they'd play this exact same way. Total foolishness, you know better. Georgia, however, is a flawed team, as they all are. And I think one of the things that Georgia folks are learning more and more is they're not so great on short yardage, which is kind of surprising because the rest of the MO of their team and their culture, you would think would permeate seamlessly to those sorts of situations. You would think they'd be good defensively, and they are, but you would also think offensively. If they need two tough yards here on third or fourth down, they can get them, and it's not the case. And I don't know if it's an offensive line thing. I don't know if it's just that they don't have true stud tailbacks that you trust between the tackles in those situations, but whatever it is, they don't have that. What is that? It is a, a moderate to minor flaw, however you want to describe it, on a team in a season where everyone's got warts and blemishes. Even though some may be undefeated, they've all got areas where you can expose them. That just happens to be Georgia's. Now, Kentucky lost this game, but there was news out of Kentucky this morning. 
And that is that Mark Stoops has a new deal. Mark Stoops is about to be making, starting in 2023, his base salary is going to be $9 million a year. That, you know what that's worth? That's worth a paper pop. Nine mil a year. I think it starts at like 8.6. you imagine telling someone at any point in the last 10 years, someone's about to be making nine mil to coach at Kentucky, and then you wait, and then you say, in football. And by the way, this contract does make him the highest paid coach at Kentucky, and that includes Cal. Now, I don't know how many hours Cal's going to allow that to stand, but that is the current situation there. Whew, a lot of money. A lot of money. Uh, and meanwhile, it turns out they signed the deal last week. And it looks like, I don't want to put words in anyone's mouth, but it looks like the plan was we'll sign it and then we'll announce it after the Vandy game. Whoops, we just lost the Vandy game. This is not going to go over well. When are we going to announce it? Uh, we were competitive against Georgia. To heck with it. Announce it. Just, just put it out there. Announce it. Well, who knows what happens against Louisville? And then we're going to stuck with this thing in our hands that people find out has been there for a month, immunity, and then we look really bad. So transparency is the word of the afternoon in Lexington and surrounding areas. I'm all for it, Mark Stoops. Get what you can get. Oregon had a gut check yesterday. I mean, Oregon may have had the gut check of Saturday. They beat Utah 20-17. to The Pac-12 was so good again yesterday. If you're sleeping on the conference, you have slept on, or you've slept on some really good football. The Big 12 as well. I am at this point. I am done doing the work that their commissioners should be doing and selling this product to you. But this one was special for Oregon. Bo Nix ended up playing in this game. We bet Utah because I didn't think Bo Nix was going to play. He ended up playing very obviously, less than 100 percent, less than 90 percent, 80 percent. He couldn't run. He couldn't do the things that make him a dynamic quarterback. Point blank, Utah's supposed to win this game. If you say the things I'm about to say out loud, even if you know Bo Nix is going to play, if I tell you Nix is not going to be able to run at all, they didn't even bother calling a lot of the option type stuff that they sometimes run with him because they knew that he was not a threat to run, and Utah would pick up on that after one play if they didn't already pick up on it beforehand. Oregon was under 2.5 yards per carry. So they didn't run the ball as a team effectively. I just took away their identity. I just took away everything that makes them lethal as an offense. Their offensive line was banged up, so they essentially played handcuffed. If I tell you that stuff, oh, and by the way, the team that's coming in is a team that beat you physically to death twice last year, you're not supposed to win that game. And they won the game. And how did they do it? Their defense stepped up when it needed to the most. I told a couple of people today, this was the game I went back and watched before any other game when I got on the plane last night. I couldn't believe their defensive front. In fact, I couldn't believe Oregon's defense, period. I'll get back to that in a second. But I thought they played at an extremely high level. They were disruptive. They never allowed Cam Rising to get comfortable. I think there's a reason why he had three picks last night, the Utah quarterback. And I just didn't expect that. And I think you could argue this is the best Oregon's defense has looked all year, and that's kind of what I want to get back to. I'm not here to confirm anything. I'm not in their locker room. I'm not in their coach's box. But there are some interesting theories by some folks who are pretty plugged into the program about 
you know, maybe some of the procedural things that could be changing behind the scenes there. I talked about this with the offense at South Carolina. Could it be that the defense at Oregon is operating a little bit differently procedurally today than it was three weeks ago, five weeks ago, seven weeks ago? And usually what I mean when I say that is, who's calling the plays versus who was calling the plays? Just something to keep in mind. Could be collaborative. I just, I, I have suspicion that things may have changed there in the last maybe week or in the last two weeks. But whatever you did last night, keep doing it because that looked really, really good. How many weeks of gas do you have in the tank? That's a question I always ask this time of year because you can get fooled into buying stock in a lot of teams in October. October is not easy to make it through, but October is infinitely easier to make it through. Many a team has made it through October. Far fewer have been able to navigate the waters in November. They get really rocky. It gets treacherous. The mist sets in. It's unfamiliar territory for a lot of folks, especially if you're a first-year head coach. And so it would have been perfectly understandable after Oregon got beat by Washington last week for them to drop this one, banged up though they were, and just think to themselves, all right, we made it into November, but it turns out we were a team with 10 or 11 weeks of gas when we needed 13 or 14. Nope. They picked themselves right back up. I mean, this was a true gut check for, for Bo Nix and for the program. And this is a first for them. It's Dan Lanning's first year as a head coach. That staff, it's their first year together up there. And here they are. They're alive way, way later in the season than I think a lot of folks expected them to be. And they're a prime player now. USC is going to be in the Pac-12 championship game. Could they be facing Oregon? We will get that answer. This week, they play Oregon State. I didn't check the number on that game. I'll certainly have it for you Tuesday. Uh, some more added takeaways here, and then I've got three early best bets to give you. Ramen Noodle Express is on fire. On fire. Several children had their Christmas paid for, whether they know it or not, over the past couple of weeks. I tell you guys all the time, check your calendar. Does you a load of good to check your calendar. And what do you know? Florida didn't check the calendar yesterday because if Florida checked the calendar, they would have known it's Dorvember. Kentucky found out the hard way. Florida found out the hard way. It's Dorvember. And sure enough, Vanderbilt 31, Florida 24. We hinted at this last week. We made Vandy one of our very, very early best bets. We were getting 14 and a half. I responsibly took another unit and put it on the money line. That's right. I did not tell you to do that because I don't often tell you to go bet 14-point dogs outright, but I did it myself, and it pays off. Box score doesn't have to make sense. November doesn't have to make sense. 35 at kickoff. I just didn't like the prospect of Florida having to go into that. Florida coming off that win against South Carolina last week, which, as it turns out, I'm not going to call it fraudulent, but it certainly doesn't carry as much weight anymore. And so... Man, look at the total yards. If you go 4-4-5 to 2-8-3, you're supposed to win the game. But if you run the ball 45 with Anthony Richardson, maybe you don't win the game. And that's how it turned out. Uh, Vanderbilt, clearly overachieving. Vanderbilt has felt good for about the past four or five weeks, but they didn't have the wins to show for it. And now, finally, they got the Kentucky win. They got the Florida win. 
And now they play Tennessee this week. And like I said, the line on that game is about 16 or 17, depending on where you look. Florida is a nine and a half point dog against FSU. We will have eyes on both of those games, obviously. This next game, man, this one kind of took me by surprise. I got to be real. Michigan squeaked by Illinois, 19 to 17. Now, hats off because <clears throat> they found a way. Man, almost got stuck in my throat. They found a way to win, and they're 11 and 0 now. First time since 06. <clears throat> there we go. I think I got it, Colin. And that sets up the Ohio State game this Saturday, which we'll, we will talk about ad nauseum this Tuesday. But man, if you've watched Michigan this year, you know they're really physical. They have not developed, frankly, the passing game I thought they'd develop. I thought that receiver group was going to be a group that evolved and grew throughout the year, and they were going to be a force to be reckoned with by the stretch run. And they're just not. For whatever reason, they're just not. And if you don't have that tool at your disposal, you can get in a situation where you reach into the box and there's nothing there. And you just got to keep doing and keep doing and keep doing what you've been doing. And, you know, 19-17 against Illinois. That's the result. Illinois playing inspired football yesterday, playing for Brett Bielema. He just lost his mom. Illinois has been a good team this year, period, inspired or not. But there you go. A field goal at the end ends up keeping Michigan alive, keeping them perfect. Now, here's what I don't want you to do. We've already talked about this theme several times. I don't want you to fall into the same trap that a lot of people do every week, and that is thinking that one week impacts the next week. Michigan could throw for 350 yards this Saturday, and it wouldn't shock me. They are playing Ohio State. Nothing about anything else I've seen this year matters this Saturday. It is a one-game season. Andrell Anthony has not done fractionally what people have expected him to do this year. He could go off for 175 yards and three touchdowns this Saturday. And you'd look at it and you'd say, yep, that's the Ohio State-Michigan game. That's the Michigan-Ohio State game. That's the game. So I don't care. They won. I don't care. Next game, Ohio State 43, Maryland 30. They won. I don't care. Nothing about yesterday matters this Saturday. Now, I'll tell you one specific thing that matters that I saw yesterday. Mayan Williams, out. Travion Henderson, hurt to the point where I'm surprised they played him. Ryan Day said he had a good week of practice. He looked crippled to me. And so he's in there playing to start, and then they wisely get him out of there because he can't function. And they put in Dallin Hayden. You say, whomst? Ohio State fans know him. That would be about the extent of how many people really would know about him nationally. 146 yards, three touchdowns. That's called depth. That's quality depth. That's why you recruit him. That's why you rep him in practice. And that's why you don't stop paying attention after your ones and twos run through the line. Because the later you get in the year, the more guys get banged up. The more those, those critical last-minute recruiting decisions, who do we take? What is our eval on this guy? It all ends up playing out in that form. You, no one on any preview magazine publication or editorial board cared about that kid preseason. I hadn't heard him mentioned on Ohio State boards by midseason. But there he was yesterday, and he was ready to go. And so who knows what their running back situation is going into this week. I am sure, or virtually certain, that everything Ohio State's doing and everything Michigan is doing is geared towards getting themselves prepared health-wise for this game. Doesn't mean they'll all be ready. 
Uh, but you also are not going to get much reputable injury information this week either. So I wouldn't plan on having many updates. You'll just have to turn on the game Saturday and find out. But I don't I, I, I'm going to save it for Tuesday. I got, some, I got some thoughts already on Ohio State Michigan. I'm going to save it for Tuesday. Clemson took Miami and body bagged them yesterday. 40 to 10. Somehow, some way, this game was probably even worse than 40 to 10. You want padlock stats? I haven't given out padlock stats this show yet. How does 27 to 6 in the first down department sound? Edge, Clemson, by the way. Third downs, Clemson was 14 of 19. Total yards, 447 to 98. Yes, friends, Miami failed to crack the 100-yard mark. Not in a quarter, not in a half, but in a full real-life college football game. Uh, total plays, 84 to 42. Edge, Clemson. So a total skull dragging. The Sarah McLaughlin special of the day happened in Clemson, South Carolina. And if it didn't happen there, it happened in Columbia. So you can take your pick. Sarah McLaughlin was running things in the Palmetto State yesterday. This was a gross gross football game. There's really not much reason to break it down. But I do have this little tidbit for you. A testament to Dabo Swinney there. You know, I'm told the program's falling off. I'm told that. I'm not saying that. Need I remind you, no member of Clemson's roster has lost a home game in their careers. I'm going to repeat that. No member of Clemson's roster has lost a home game their entire career. Or, alternately put, that's getting the job done. Arkansas finally played with a healthy quarterback. And you know what's shocking? <clears throat> Regardless of what some more casual-minded amongst us would say, Arkansas with a healthy K.J. Jefferson's actually a really good team. I had a wager on the line with one such person. Who would swear to you if K.J. Jefferson's not good? Well, that's a relative term. He's infinitely better than what the other options there are. And he was plenty good enough to run all over Ole Miss yesterday, this was a 42-6 game at one point, I think entering the fourth quarter. So Arkansas just smoked Ole Miss. I think it was a little bit of a perfect storm, too. You got the Kiffin stuff going on. I can't tell you quantitatively how big a distraction that is. I just think that it is. You also had their SEC championship hopes dashed last week, their playoff hopes dashed. So that's out the window. And Arkansas got healthy. And I know if you're looking at your screen right now, you have to think this is a typo, but it's not. Ole Miss put up 703 yards of offense and got run. It was 42 to 6 at the beginning of the fourth quarter. I, I watched the game, and I don't know how that's possible. But a healthy K.J. Jefferson, check. Bowl eligibility, check. Had senior day, I think, yesterday, and a lot of those guys have been there through ups and downs and ups and downs. Check. Uh, they were not losing that one yesterday. So hats off to them, and it's going to be an interesting week there in Oxford, Mississippi. They got the Egg Bowl Thursday, and then who knows who they're going to have there Friday. So a lot, a lot remains to be seen this week. One other game that has one of the more puzzling stats in a box score I saw all day. Oklahoma won Bedlam. They beat Oklahoma State 28-13. Oklahoma State's offense is just gone. It, it ceases to exist, and they were down, I think, 28-0. Oklahoma scored all of their points in the first quarter. I want you to listen to this. Oklahoma was 1-14 of 14 on third down, and they won. Look at that box score. 
They got outgained. They were one of 14 on third down. Oklahoma State had nine more first downs than them. But that turnover stat at the bottom, boy, did it matter. And Oklahoma State was minus two in that department. What does this mean? For most of you, not much. Because you just watched it and you saw two teams that aren't in the mix for anything of note in the postseason. But for an Oklahoma fan, when you can win this game and you're down years, it means a whole lot. And that's 10 of the last 11 that Oklahoma's won. For Lincoln Riley, if you're trying to keep folks on board, if you're trying to keep people engaged, you're trying to springboard your way into the next season, you better believe it matters. So big win there for Oklahoma. Didn't get to watch a lot of that game yesterday. That one's on the, that one's on the, what did I say, Colin? Oh, I said, ooh, that's not good. If this were not a live show, I would have Colin cut it. But apparently I said Lincoln Riley. Brent Venables, yes. Brent Venables, the head coach for the University of Oklahoma. I saw Riley last night, so that's my excuse. And we also made a lot of money yesterday. So I think that you ought to spare me a little. We've got three best bets to put on the Ramen Noodle Express here. And I've got to do you a favor right quick. Because we are nothing if not ethical around here. i got to make sure that one of these numbers is available. Yes, it is. Uh, DraftKings, Caesars, yes. Okay, so Ohio minus 7 is our first one. That's a Maction game. Uh, that is on Tuesday, I believe. Yeah, uh, Tuesday, 6 p.m. Central, or maybe at Eastern. Check the time. That's a Tuesday game, Ohio, St- or Ohio minus 7. Coastal Carolina at plus 14. And let me make sure on this one. Yes, plus 14, still widely available. They're playing uh, James Madison. And lastly, it's that time of decade, Lance. We are betting on Rutgers in a football game. Rutgers plus 14 against Maryland. That is also widely available. So Rutgers plus 14, Coastal Carolina plus 14, and Ohio minus 7. Boy, we've been hot. And I've got several more games we're going to put on the board again this week. Look, here's what you need to know about this week. It's Thanksgiving week, and yes, Thanksgiving is very important to us, but it's also one of the most important weeks of the year in college football. It's rivalry week, but we've also got potential major coaching moves and announcements coming, so we're not taking a break around here. Now, what we will do is we will have our Tuesday show. It's going to be completely and utterly loaded. We'll actually do it from College Station. We won't have a show Thursday. However, We will have our show Sunday. We'll be in Columbus Friday and Saturday. So if anything happens, you just keep it locked on the social channels, at Late Kick Josh. Keep an eye on the YouTube channel. If something big enough happens, we'll be on it, suffice it to say. I appreciate you guys. Uh, The subscriptions caught a lot of people by surprise. Not us, though. We knew it was coming. So for producer Jesse, for producer Belchi, for Director Colin, I'm Josh Pate. Take care. Have a great start to your week, and God bless.